Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft Tapes. Welcome to the Lovecraft Tapes podcast. This is K-16 Mulholland. I am Jeremy, your keeper of arcane lore, and we play Call of Cthulhu, a role-playing game filled with cosmic horror, existential dread, and a shit ton of industrial-grade packing peanuts that can neither be recycled nor eaten. Your investigators of the unknown are Brian as Ben McKnight. I don't know, guys. I got a skitty if this is going to get any more dangerous. Lupine as Rosa Garcia. I just want to punch things. Punchy. Punchy punch. And Matt as Diego Kennedy. Dang, I shouldn't have slipped those roids in Rosa's drink earlier. Not what you think, though. They're hemorrhoids. Mmm, delicious. Been a couple weeks since we uh, recorded, so how you guys been during that time? Are you talking to the audience? Let's wait and see what they say. Call us now at one eight 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 lovecraft My July has been great. I've had uh, limited work and more free time. I did go for a long car drive along the East Coast, and boy, are my arms tired. But in New York City, uh, we got to have some delicious cocktails at our first ever speakeasy, which was super cool and exciting. So it got me thinking, uh, where's the most unusual place you've ever had food or drink? There's a little theater in Chicago, and they had a festival and uh, they have a nerdy bar bottled after, like, the bridge of the Enterprise. They serve drinks named after, like, Star Trek names. They were serving some Game of Thrones stuff, Harry Potter stuff. There's a uh, group of people who put on a Star Wars extravaganza on a lot in downtown Detroit May 4th weekend. And the requirement to get in is you have to dress in character, a character, anyone from the Star Wars universe, anyone really, it doesn't even have to be Star Wars, but that's the theme. Settling up to the bar that was a exact replica of the cantina was amazing. It was really cool. And seeing the seven and a half foot tall Chewbacca walking around the event was really cool too. All at night, all lit up, everybody in costume, lightsabers everywhere. I mean, I went to a rainforest cafe in the mid 2000s. That was kind of weird because walking backwards into the mid 90s. Back in the 90s, I attended my first trade show in Vegas. For dinner one night, we ascended to the very tip top of the newly built Stratosphere Hotel, where there was a rotating restaurant 1,100 feet in the air. Not only that, but they somehow managed to curate over 100 bottles of craft beer from around the world, a staggering number that seems logistically implausible, especially how high they were. I must say, though, after a few brewskis, trying to find where the bathroom was after the core of the tower had rotated completely to a different position over time was also logistically challenging for me. And then all of a sudden, the newbie accidentally makes it go too fast and all the beer goes shatter. Well, listeners, if you would like to drop us a letter from beyond and let us know where you've eaten or drank in unusual places, please visit lovecrafttapes.com anytime and fill out our contact form. We accept well-considered criticism, fawning praise, and even cold, hard cash. (laughs) Johnny Cash. Uh, Fudgy Vamp says, this is going to be fun. Just found you guys a few months ago and started going through a backlog. Oh, enjoy that. So welcome. I hope you enjoy uh, catching up on these episodes. Uh, We got a note from Mike Hadfield, who says also, just starting case 12, slowly catching up. 
Nice. Thanks for those uh, notes on social media. Appreciate that. Yes, thank you. This show is brought to you in part by our generous fans and supporters on patreon.com slash Lovecraft Tapes. So just a quick shout out to all you folks who have helped us. Speaking of cold hard cash, basically trying to support Lupine's eggplant habit. Three a day. That was told in confidence, you guys. Eggplant, just shoot that stuff right up in the veins. And she just screams, Nightshade! (laughs) (laughs) Well, but before we begin, we need to take a quick commercial break. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hello again. It's me, Brian, from the Lovecraft Tape Podcast. You may remember me from such roles as Samantha Blaine, Jack Whiteside, Dr. Hubert Pretorius Loveland, and Ben McKnight. You know, when I'm not sleuthing away in the dank bag alleys of London City, I like to kick back at home on my homemade throne of skulls and enjoy a tall, warm glass of children's tears. That's some good tears. You know, children's tears taste so good because they're harvested at just the right time from artisanal adolescence. And not just any adolescence, no sorry, Bob. Children's tears are collected drop by drop from incredibly sad orphans whose parents either gave them up for adoption or were killed in a terrible accident which the boy or girl must have witnessed. That's the secret to really tasty children's tears. Now, the woke naysayers might claim we bottle our children's tears unethically. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Do we make them cry? No, they weep of their own free will. Did we force their mother and father to leave them at a church doorstep in the middle of the night in exchange for a cut of future profits? Perish the thought. Did we hire a 16-wheeler? to nudge the family station wagon just a scooch toward the concrete pylons in a construction zone? As they say, accidents will happen. So, ease your conscience and join me in raising a brimming mug of children's tears whenever you're in the mood to laugh a little, live a little, and love a lot. Cheers. And we're back. If Travis Tritt wrote a song about that product and her service, what would it be called? What the Fuck Just Happened by Travis Tritt coming this fall. How about Heroes and No Friends? I have no idea what it would be called, but no matter what he would title it, it would be immediately and deeply misunderstood by the Republican Party to stand for traditional American values when anybody with an actual set of ears would know that it is quite anti-establishment. Well, those are all really great suggestions, but I have it on good authority. His latest country hit, based on that product and her service, would be titled God Works in Diphtheria Ways. Oh, ouch. It is time, my friends, to play K-16 Tape 3, Strigoi Beats World. Previously on the Lovecraft Tapes. In order to put the past behind, sometimes we have to change scenery before we can push forward 
into the future. So it goes with our young investigators when their parents decide to send them off to summer camp. A harrowing bus ride along the coast to the deeply wooded interior leads them to an idyllic campground filled with kids, activities, and a breath of fresh air. But a scream deep in the forest behind the log cabins harkens back to the events of early June. Ben, Rosa, and Diego. A hulking monster who wields a writhing living whip above his head menaces a young girl. Her bright emerald eyes wide with fear, one hand raised in defense. This initial impression, however, dissolves away along with your initial burst of adrenaline. Now that you see with clearer eyes, the hulking monster is actually only an older kid. And his weapon is really just a standard variety garter snake that he's grabbed by the tail. Before you can react, Harcourt jumps in front of the girl and yells, Don't be a dick, Peter! There's a split second where you think the bigger boy is going to lash your new friend with the serpent, but instead, he brings the snake down in a wide arc where it smacks against a flat piece of shale sticking out of the ground to one side. There's a sickening splat as the poor garter's head is pulverized. Then its coiling form falls limp in the young man's hand. And that's how you cook an old Blake in the outback, Bridge. He talks funny. Why does he talk funny? What the hell is your problem? Where'd you come from? My mother. What's it to you? And he steps up to Diego, towering above you. You the new kids, eh? Depends on how you define new and how you define kids. I'm going to shoulder up with Diego. I'll come up on his other side. You going to be trouble? Is this a team I'm facing now? I don't think you answered my question. What the hell is your problem? I was just having a bit of a lock. Get the hell out of here. Well, that sounds like an intimidate to me. I needed a 15. I rolled a 44. That's a fail. Peter begins laughing and dangles the snake in front of you. I'm going to sucker punch him while he's laughing. Go ahead and give me a, uh, a roll there. Damn, I needed a 48, I rolled a 52. You know what, I'm spending the luck, four points. So he's going to need a better success, right? Okay, I rolled a 23, a better success than you. Damn. So you take a swing at him, and he easily sidesteps and uses the snake, wraps it around your neck and starts tugging, and slams you to the ground. Hey, that's... No, stop that. I'm going to grab the snake and try to get it off of Diego's throat. I'm going to kick it as knee. My dex is 50. Ben? 80. Ben, you're going to get the ups on this. Uh, You'll get a uh, bonus die. I need a 29 roll of 38. Okay, but you get a bonus die, so roll d10. A five. No better. So he manages to uh, sidestep you with no no issues. You, you, you basically just kick it air. Peter, the bully, looks at Rosa and gives you like a bit of a wink. And then Harcourt launches himself 
and grabs Peter around the neck, clinging to it like a little spider monkey. And Peter starts turning this way and that, also dragging poor Diego around. Oh, that's right. You were going to try to grab the snake, weren't you? Yeah. I'll give you a bonus die. Go ahead and give me a dex. Ooh, a success. So Harcourt launches himself, uh, providing a little bit of distraction, and that allows you to just reach in and yank Diego out of the homespun noose. Peter and Harcourt stumble away a few yards, and Peter dislodges Harcourt, who falls heavily to the ground, panting. What's the girl doing? Standing up and brushing off her clothes. Just totally ignoring this fight that's going on. I would like to make sure that Diego is okay. Rosa, I'm going to give you a uh, spot hidden, please. Oh, that is a fumble. 96 over 25. Starting off strong here, the Lovecraft tapes. You check on Diego. He's just kind of shook up. He's not really hurt. I had him right where I wanted him. Over top of you, kicking you? I, I, I had a plan. I had a plan. It was going well. And that's when a counselor bursts into the clearing. All right, what's going on here? He was threatening her, I guess, with a snake. Are you the uh, Garcia kid? Yeah, my name is Rosa. Welcome, Rosa. I'm sorry. These are your friends. Uh, is it Benjamin? Yeah. And is San Diego? Is that your name? San Diego? It's just Diego. No no sand involved. Not a fan of sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating and it just gets everywhere. <laughs> Harcourt, Peter, with me. And she brings them to her off to one side and starts talking to them in quiet tones. Meanwhile, the uh, young girl has finished brushing herself off and she's looking at you curiously. Hi, are, are you okay? And she nods. My name's Rosa. She puts her hand out. I'll shake it. She pats her pockets in her uniform. She's wearing the Camp Mulholland t-shirt and a pair of cargo shorts. She uh, pulls out a little piece of paper and hands it to you. I'll look at the piece of paper. It says, uh, my name is Brigitte. It's nice to meet you, Brigitte. And she waves back at you and then touches her lips to indicate that she does not speak. Okay. And she walks up to Ben and holds out her hand to you. I just shake her hand real quick and pull my hand back. Are you okay? She nods. I don't know what that guy's problem is, but he won't bother you again. Could be a spot hidden. I needed a 45 or rolled a 13. That's hard, hard success. As soon as you made mention of the bully, she glances to the side and you see a look of hate cross her face. And before you can react, she turns to Diego. Hey, how you doing? And she hugs you. Oh, um, okay. Ooh, Diego's got a girlfriend. <laughs> and she steps back quickly and looks around. Uh, you're welcome, I guess. And you can see she's blushing slightly and nods and keeps her eyes to the ground. Hey, guys, we should blow this popsicle stand. Let's go. Counselor Tammy turns back and says, I I'm sorry uh, that uh, Peter here got himself into trouble again. He and I are going to have a little chat back at the uh, hall. And she marches off with Peter, looking sheepishly, but kind of stealing glances back in your direction as they march off. And Harcourt comes back and rejoins you. Did you guys see that, man? I just like totally just choked on him. Thanks, Harcourt. Yeah, I mean, you know, damsel in distress and all that. I mean, that's what Jack Nicholson would do, right? Well, he was cuckoo. Oh, not yet. Now you've met Peter. He's got a couple screws loose, you know? He doesn't seem very nice. He's not. Look what he did to that poor snake. Pick it up. It's limp and decimated. Do you think we could bury it or something? Oh, I have a better idea. Hey, Harcourt, 
You happen to know which bunk is Peter's? I do, yeah. I'm going to pick up the snake. Why don't you show me? We'll have to do it real quick, okay? And plus, we can get you guys some shirts, and then we can head over to lunch real quick. Oh, uh, hi, Brigitte. Uh, hope he didn't hurt you too much. Or... Eh, I've been hit harder. He was talking to Brigitte. Maybe a good idea to, like, steer clear of him a little bit. He tends to calm down. He's actually not that bad of a guy, but he thinks, like, in his head that he's, like, playing a prank or something, but he takes it too far. He seems real gross. Seems like he did take it a little bit too far, didn't it? Yeah, he did. I mean, he was just kind of intimidating her a little bit. And, and killing snakes and choking somebody he doesn't know with a snake. But the snake didn't do anything to him. He failed all his animal uh, identification badges. So he probably thought it was like a squirrel, a cobra or something. He's that stupid. So about that bunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, come on, guys. Brigitte, we'll catch up with you at lunch, okay? And she heads off to the mess hall. And Harcourt leads you back to the bunkhouse, where uh, a few kids are getting ready for lunch and heading back out to the mess hall. And he shows you basically your bunks and where you have shirts laid out on your bunks that you can put on to look like all the other kids. They're pale yellow with Camp Mulholland established 1935 on the front. The lettering is sort of made up to look like wooden letters or carved into a wooden sign, much like what you saw on the sign that when you drove in. That's cool. You actually have an, an additional one that's in the trunk at the foot of your bed. So we don't have to smell like we've been in the same shirt for a week? You don't have to smell like that, but you get to. Harcourt calls over to uh, Diego. Hey, it's over here. This is his right here. You smell it? It smells like him. Scan around to make sure that either there's nobody here or nobody is watching us at the moment. Seems, seems relatively clear, yeah. I'm going to take the snake tuck it in under the blanket so that he won't see it until he pulls it off to lay down to go to bed at night. I'm going to make a secret roll. Oh, you died. Oh, man. It was a cobra. It was a cobra. It came back to life and bit you. Was it radioactive? Do I have snake-based superpowers? It seems like you've gotten away with it. Bum, bum, bum. And that's when you hear a loud jangling outside the mess hall announcing lunch is about to be served. Woo! Counselor Lem is simultaneously banging a metal rod around the perimeter of an iron triangle while also haphazardly counting heads as the kids stream past him to get grub. Inside, a couple dozen teenagers rush back and forth between stations piled high with odd-looking food, large beverage dispensers filled with various liquids and small round tables with their camp friends. Counselor Tammy, looking harried, tries to help, her voice almost lost in the loud din of chattering, excited voices. Counselor Tammy looks hairy. What? She does have a mustache. And a unibrow. Yeah, that's a choice. And uh, you do see Brigitte at a table all by herself. I'm going to go over and sit with her. Are you getting any food? Well, what's for lunch? For lunch today, we have grilled Kung Pao tofu slabs, lentil and cauliflower stew, broccolini sandwiches, tempeh burgers, and soy milk ice cream. But not to be outdone, you have fresh stream water to drink, oolong iced tea, warm goat milk, and sugar-free Sprite. I'm going to have the sandwich. Maybe the burger? Broccolini sandwich. Okay, tempeh burger for you? Uh, I'm also going to grab a burger. What can we get you to drink here? Oolong tea. Oolong iced tea for Rosa? Me too. I'm just going for water. All right, fresh stream water. Delicious. 
Rose is heading to sit with Brigitte, as is Harcourt. You can sit there as well. I'll tag along with them and sit at that same table. The five of you convene at one table. The mess hall is just like a hubbub of activity. All the kids are excited. They're all talking very loudly. Clattering of plates and glasses. You eat your food. How about some con rolls from everybody? I needed a 60. I rolled a 67. That's a failure. I needed a 60. I rolled a 47. That's a success. I needed a 50. I rolled a 65. That is a failure. Rosa and Diego, you guys both had the burgers, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense then. You're not quite sure what tempe is. I don't know what tempe is. Hey, Google, what's tempeh? <laughs> you have a rough time with the texture. The soybeans are just kind of fall apart in your mouth, but then they're also hard to chew. Even after just a few bites, you're trying to wash it down with the oolong tea. At least you get some sustenance from the lunch. However, Ben is really enjoying his broccolini sandwich. Brigitte is uh, barely picking it her food. She must still be upset about what had happened in the woods. However, Hardcore is making up for it in a big, big way. He's got the grilled Kung Pao tofu slabs. He's got two orders of those and he's just double forking it. His cheeks are like chipmunks. Oh, so good. I I get this at home. My God, my dad eats steaks all the time. All I have to do is eat steaks and ribs and burgers. So good. Oh, wait, wait till dinner though, guys. Oh my God, you have not lived. What do they serve for dinner? The other kids. Lem's going to let us know. Don't they have real food? Rosa, you you could eat that? No. Go ahead. He snatches it from your plate and eats around where you ate. I was not aware they served Soylent Green at your camp. Or rotten food. I'm going to spend some time scanning the lunch hall, kind of getting a lay of the land, who's in what group, you know, where clicks are, who's, you know, popular, who's not, stuff like that. Quite clearly, you see Peter at one of the far tables holding court over a few guys and one girl. He says something, they laugh, and then they kind of look over towards your table a little bit, and then they start to talk in hushed tones again. Why don't you give me a spot? I needed a 50, I rolled a 77. That's a failure. The kids are just milling about, so they're kind of switching tables. You can't really get a good grip on, like, who are the nerds and who are the cool kids. Unfortunately, before you can really hone in on who might you want, want to latch onto, Counselor Lem stands at the front of the room with a clipboard and clears his throat loudly. The young people around you quiet down expectantly. Good afternoon, <clears throat> good afternoon ladies and gentlemen, uh, and a warm welcome to our newcomers. All eyes turn on you, some faces blank, and others filled with open curiosity. I am very obviously so pleased that he called us out. He continues reading from his notes. Today's lunch was prepared by Tammy from the cookbook entitled A San Francisco Treat for Vegetarians by Mike Romanowski Hunt. Uh, I think we could all agree Mike Hunt has created a wonderful collection of... He trails off suddenly as he notices Counselor Tammy furiously motioning at him. There is barely suppressed mirth coming from the group at a table where Peter sits, his bulky frame shivering with quiet laughter. Counselor Lem looks down at the clipboard, his face going red. Well, uh, now, um, uh, never mind all that. Uh, Let's say the food was good. And many thanks to Tammy for her efforts. There's a half-hearted smattering of applause as Counselor Tammy puts her face in her hands and shakes her head. Counselor Lem continues. At any rate, after you've cleared your plates, uh, please report to any activities you wish to explore. Badges are available to be earned, and 
Badge collectors will duke it out on our last day of camp during the annual Hungry Games, as I like to call it. <laughs> because you haven't had any good food this whole trip, so you're really hungry at the I'm end. So hungry. I'm so ready to kill like half these kids and no one in this competition. And eat them. Tonight at dusk, we'll be supping around the campfire. Wieners for all. <laughs> of course, there will be camp songs to sing, and maybe, just maybe... There will be s'mores. A robust cheer resounds in the hall as kids are already getting up to throw their plates and silverware into plastic gray tubs in one corner before racing outside. Counselor Lem looks awkward, mouth hanging open, as if he had something left to say, but now it's too late. Instead, he mumbles something under his breath before stalking away. Does anybody have re-lips? I do. It's a 1%, but technically, yes. You can also attempt a hard listen. One or the other, you choose. Oh, I needed a 25. I rolled a 21, which is only a regular success, not a hard success. I would like to try to read lips. Nope. I rolled a 3 on a 21. That is a failure. I'm going to try the hard listen. I didn't do it. Need a 25, got an 85. So unfortunately, the commotion from the rest of the kids has drowned out anything that he would have said. And he turned away too soon for uh, Rosa to accurately make out what he might be saying. He also talks like this. With bellies full, you stumble back out into the afternoon sunlight, eager to partake of the camp's activities. You guys need to decide what activities you're going to pursue. So what are the options? The options are archery, swimming, boating, crafts, which can be macrame, painting, macaroni, paper plate designs, uh, survival skills like fire building, whittling, detecting poison plants, volleyball, badminton, horseshoes, or you guys come up with something. It can be anything. Parachuting. It can be parachuting. Runway modeling. You tell me what you would like to do. Secret Underground Camp Fight Club. Let's go. I would like to see where Peter's going and go the other way. It appears that he might be ditching activities. I'm going to do fire building. So survival skills, fire building for Ben. Where's Brigitte going? She does not appear to be anywhere in sight. I'm going to go boating. I'm going to pretend that I'm going to archery, but I'm really going to tail Peter into the woods and see what he's up to. So Ben, uh, you're going to be attempting some uh, fire building. Yes. You go towards uh, one of the campfires, and it appears that there are four main pyres, they call them. Large rings where an older kid who has already earned the badge is teaching, and Counselor Lem and Tammy are sort of rotating in between all these activities, overseeing things and making sure everybody's cool. There are some sticks rubbed together. Nice. Well-versed. There's a young lady with dark eyes and dark hair. She has a significant scar on her left ear. Ooh. Now, when you walk up and sort of notice her immediately, because she's very striking, Mm -hmm. you see she's writing in this little notebook, almost like a little steno pad. Okay. She's just writing red rum, red rum, red rum, red rum. (laughs) I'm going to walk up to her. Hey, have you ever done this before? You're the new kid, right? Yeah, I'm Ben. Ben. And she writes your name in her steno pad. What's your name? I'm Lindsay. I pull out my steno pad. That's a nice steno pad. Where did you get that? From your trunk in your room. What? So what do we do here? How do we? Well, here, look. And she comes close enough to 
rub shoulders with you. Oh, my. Tilts her steno pad towards you and flips back a few pages. Okay, see here where I've drawn this? You basically take these two little sticks. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is create a little paper in the bottom of the pyre. Rub the stick very quickly. You can use the other stick to sort of gain momentum. Okay. Just watch. Lem's going to show us here. And Lem proceeds to show you guys how to build fire and then begins calling on you one by one to do so. She drew this? She drew a little sketch, yeah. That's a good drawing. Uh, that sounds like a charm to me. Yeah, that's what you get for opening your fat mouth. I needed a 15. I rolled a 58. I was just giving a compliment. <laughs> you know, I don't draw like professionally or anything, but you know, it's it's this stupid. No, it's nice. I don't I don't know why I rolled so bad. <laughs> Anyways, you could just look at Lem and he'll show you. I'm never gonna get a girlfriend. And she's good at rubbing sticks. Lem basically uh, goes around the ring of kids and eventually points to you and says, Ben, ready to give this a whirl? Yeah, sure. So that is a survival skill. Uh, you do not have any base survival skill other than 10%. Since you're learning this, we're going to say this is a combination of survival and dexterity. Get a success in one or the other. And if you also then roll in survival and make that, then we can increase your skill. Let me try dex first, right? Yep. Uh, I needed an 80. I rolled a 55. That's a success. So you see a bit of smoke begin to puff out from the kindling at the base of the stick. Don't fumble your survival. I needed a 10. Rolled a 65. I failed. But I didn't fumble. As the kindling begins to catch, your rotation of the stick begins to falter slightly. You gotta blow it. Start spinning my hands fast again, and I'm gonna get real low, and I'm gonna do a little... And then, poof, it ignites, and you see a little bit of flame. My eyebrows! Good job, Ben. I did it! For a minute there, I thought you were gonna cock it up, but no, good. And you hear Lindsay whisper, good job, Ben. Thanks, Lindsay. So, Rosa, you uh, trot on down to the docks. There are a bunch of kids, obviously, all very eager to get into a boat. But unfortunately, you came a little bit late, and there's only one other person at the dock who still needs a partner. This is a young person with feathered blonde hair, as is the custom in the 70s. Fair faucet. They have a sweet t-shirt. What's that logo on that t-shirt that would really cause Rosa to take notice? Like, oh my God. This person is cool. So I was thinking about an inverted pentagram, but it has a goat head inside it. The band is called Motorface. Motorboater. The Black Mold. This kid turns around at the sound of your feet on the dock, and it's this slow motion turn towards you as the feathered blonde hair waves in the wind. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> they turn around, and you can see that in... One hand sort of at their waist, you see a little personal transistor radio. They have beautiful brown eyes. They put a hand on their hip and sort of give you a wink and a sideways smile. Hey, I guess you're my partner, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. I'm I'm Rosa. You got here today, huh? Yeah, we just got here, me, me and my cousin and my best friend from home. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Where were they at? I think one of them's rubbing sticks together. That tracks. The other one's uh, shooting shooting arrows, I think. Well, that's cool. I, it's just you and me then. Yeah, I guess. Well, hop on in, man. You ever boat before? Yeah, but but not not too far. Just a little robot in the ocean. My dad likes to take me out fishing sometimes. Oh, the ocean. Oh, shit, man. You're going to be leading me then. All right. Well, hop on in. 
it's just a little canoe. It's nothing to be scared of. And I'll take the uh, right side. You take the left. Is that cool? Yeah, that sounds good. Let's go, man. I hear this thing is really deep. So we got to be no man overboard, okay? Or woman, as the case may be. Okay, yeah. You guys paddle away from the docks. What's nice is the the uh, lake is extremely calm. Essentially, the kids are just sort of going around and round. So let's see how good you are at that. So again, th- I think this is going to be a dexterity, right, guys? I got a hard success. 15 under 50. This will also be a pilot. 29 over one. You know, you are paddling away and you're actually doing quite well. You feel perfectly in sync with Nikki moving around the lake and you're actually outpacing a lot of the other kids uh, until you find yourself in the middle of the lake. And that's when we're grabbed by the Kraken. Nikki pulls in the oar. You feel a hand on your shoulder. Hey, would you mind if we just like enjoy this moment? Yeah, it's kind of nice out here. You pull in your oar as well, and all of the noise just recedes. An eagle flies overhead, and you can hear just a very soft breeze sowing through the trees. America! And you feel the weight of everything that happened in June just slip from you. Diego, I believe what we're looking from you is a track. Oh, I needed a 40. I rolled a 50. That's a failure. Push the roll. Peter heads towards the archery range, and then you lose him. You're not quite sure if he dipped into the tree line or if he has doubled back around behind some of the log cabins. Harcourt is there at the archery range. Hey, Diego, over here, over here. I, I've got, I, I saved the best bow for you. You, you do the bow and arrow thing, right? You saw some like Cowboys and Indians movies, right? It's easy stuff. I mean, my dad's in the military and he's shown me a few things. Diego's got a boyfriend. Come on over here. I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Uh, to be honest, I'm not that great, but basically we just want to hit those targets right down there. You get the red and the blue and the green and whatever. Just try to hit, you get points and it's fun. All right. Last time I did this, it was with something a little bit louder. But we'll see how this goes. Did you have a crossbow? No, the last time I did this was with my dad's M17. Oh my God, an M17? Standard issue Air Force pistol. I yeah. know. I saw it in Moon Over Miami. No, that was Denny's. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the movie, but I'm pretty sure it was Gregory Peck. Gregory Peck was in it, and he had one of those guns. I'm Pretty sure. Anyways, here, if you'll feel this, it's uh, sculpted from one piece of wood. It's very smooth to the touch. Deer gut is the string. And there's plenty of arrows here. Unfortunately, they don't make them super sharp, but they're just sharp enough with enough force to get through those hay bales at the end there. So give it a shot. Just the tip of the arrow. And what could possibly go wrong, huh? So this is going to be a relatively standard range attack. In your custom skills, you would put firearms bow and set it at 15 percent there we go if you excuse me i'm going to promptly put my own eye out i needed a 15 i rolled a 54 so that was a successful failure but we're gonna go ahead and give you the dex roll uh i needed an 80 i rolled a four which is extreme dexterity you pull back the drawstring and for some reason it feels so natural and your eyes just lock in on the target But just as you're about ready to release, Harcourt says, Diego, uh, hold on a sec. You don't have that notched all the way. And you can see that your arrow is not exactly in the string. 
it's slightly off. So if you had released it, it may have doubled back on you and potentially hurt you. So Harcourt comes up behind you and reaches over and just helps you re-notch it slightly. Oh, my. There, there you go, Diego. You, sh- you should be all set down. Let, let fly. Sure thing. Kind of take into account some of the things my dad taught me about shooting his gun. So I'm going to exhale and wait until I get to the bottom of my breath, and then I'm going to release. And your arrow flies directly into the bullseye. The bull is pissed. Got a regular Robin Hood over here. Each of you did well in your chosen endeavors. So uh, I would say Diego did the best with the extreme. Uh, So you're going to go ahead and add two points to your firearms bow. Add a archery badge. Nice. Rosa can do the same thing with boating. So piloting, add two points to your piloting. Okay. So it goes up to three. But you will also get a boating badge. Ben, you get one point in your survival. Okay. Who would have known that Ben is so great at rubbing sticks and blowing things? And you will also get a fire building badge. Nice. After activities have wrapped up for the day, all campgoers are given free reign to do whatever they like until dinner at dusk. Some opt for naps or quiet time alone while others continue to swim or play games. What would you like to do? I am going to meet these guys and I hope we're going after Peter. I'm going to go on a wander and see if I can locate Lindsay. I want to go after Peter with Rosa. After the activities have wrapped up, Peter is actually seen, among all the other kids, playing Jack's. Jackbox Party Pack? I'm going to hang out with Nikki then. I'm going to go take a nap in my bed. So you head on back to the bunkhouse. Ben, yeah, you find Lindsay easily enough. She is uh, seated next to a wood pile against the mess hall, jotting some stuff down in her steno pad. Hey, Lindsay. Oh, hey, Ben. What's going on? I just want to say thanks again for earlier. That's, you know, it was no big deal. You did well. Do you have any other cool pictures that you drew? Like I said, I don't, that's not what I usually do. I just did it because it needed to be done so that I could figure out how to actually create the fire later. You know, usually it's just words. Can you draw me like one of your French girls? (laughs) (laughs) You want to go for a walk? Why? I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun to hang out. Yeah, I guess so. You don't have to. It's okay if you're busy. Have you seen Down by the Lake? There's like this weird rock. It has some writing on it. I haven't even been to the lake yet. I have a theory. I think there were pirates here. I think they came inland. To hide their treasure? Yeah, I think I think there's treasure hidden here. That would be smart, actually, if they were pirates that came inland like that. Right? Nobody would come in that far to look for it. Nobody is going to do that. Well, come on, I'll show it to you. You tell me whether or not it's actual like pirate writing. I don't. No pirate writing. I don't either, but we can figure it out. All right. Come on. Follow me. And she trots down towards the lake. And I go the opposite direction. No. <laughs> uh, hello? hello? Who is this? Rosa sees Nikki hanging out on one of the picnic tables by themselves, listening to the radio. Some really driving guitar riff thing that you've never heard before. It sounds completely different than the Beatles is like what your parents listen to. Well, that and Perry Como, but yeah. I'm going to sit on the table as well because I want to seem cool. Hi, Nikki. Oh, hey. What's, what's up, Rosa? I really like your t-shirt. What's it about? Thanks, man. It's this group. Oh, man. They're just, they're out of LA. They are fucking sweet. I, you know, I'm sorry. Sweet. Shouldn't say fucking, but... <laughs> Yeah, they're just really cool, you know? It's like, 
they're into like dark stuff like black magic stuff and oh that's so cool yeah my parents don't like it at all but you know yeah parents where they know they're never there when you need them that is so true they were not there we had a thing happen earlier this summer and really scary and and our parents weren't anywhere to help us oh man sorry to hear that god makes me so mad Makes you want to like set things on fire, right? I did get in some trouble a couple years back, and I just try not to do all that again. But oh my god, really? I try to be like chill these days, you know. I get that. So much easier. It's so much easier to just play along, right? It is. To be honest, my folks do not leave me alone a single minute. I'm just so happy to be here at this camp because I gotta be me, you know. Yeah. I mean, you ever get that feeling like you're going to grow up to be your parents? And like, that's a real bummer. My dad really wants me to take over the farm when when I grow up. But I don't want to. I want to go do things, right? I want to go explore and see things. Our folks just do not understand that we live in a different world now. We can't be like the old traditional crap. Why don't they get it? I mean, they were kids once, right? Well, they were something once, that's for sure. (laughs) You know, Rosa, I think you're pretty cool. Oh, thanks. I think you're pretty cool, too. Really? Yeah. Me? Yeah. Thanks, I guess. Uh, You know, maybe, uh, you know, we can uh, meet at the pyre tonight. That would be really cool. Is there a fire every night? Oh, there's a couple. Don't worry. You're going to find out about it as soon as Jeremy tells you. No, wait. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Nikki, do you know about... Peter, I think his name is. Oh, I know about Peter, all right. What's his deal? He seems really mean. He is. And one of these days, he's going to get it. Yeah. Oh, hey, uh, man, I, I love this band. And he turns up the radio. Once the sun begins to set, kids begin to assemble with their smaller groups of peers to eat dinner. Some prefer to stay inside the mess hall where dinner is doled out onto paper plates and styrofoam cups. But others sit around small fires spread out at various points around the campground, roasting hot dogs over open flame. Real meat? Uh, I'll meet you guys at pyre number three, Harcourt says. His sagging plate piled high with dogs without buns and some runny baked beans. It's over by the horseshoe pit. I tell the best ghost stories, don't worry. He gives an exaggerated wink, then runs outdoors into the twilight. I'm going to ask Nikki if he wants to sit with us. They actually uh, offer to fix you a plate. That would be really nice, Nikki. Thank you. I'm I'm really hungry. (laughs) Relish? Yes. Onion? Eggplant? Oh, man. I love dogs with everything. Yeah. We'll fix the buns here with all the stuff in it, and then we'll go out and put the stick into the doggy. Like this? Oh, yes. Yeah, you're doing it. You're doing it. I started a fire that way. Rosa and Nikki head out to pyre number three. Oh, well, then I'm going to grab two wieners, and then I'm going to get a paper plate and put some hot dogs on it. Uh, I'm going to load up a plate 
with hot dogs. Okay, you guys pile up your plates and I'll head out to pyre number three. Counselors uh, Lem and Tammy are sort of going in between, making sure everybody's cool with the, the flames that you're cooking your hot dogs, make sure no one's monkeying around. Peter doesn't appear to be anywhere. He might be inside in the mess hall. So you guys assemble and shove sticks into your hot dogs and roast them over the fire. It's actually pretty good. These are all beef hot dogs. Nikki offers to cook Rose's if she wishes. That would be really nice. Thank you. I got two hands, right? So it's no big deal. And after a while, as you guys uh, finish your dinner, you notice that Lem and Tammy sort of seem satisfied with how things are going and they retire off to their main cabin, probably to do some paperwork or whatever. Paperwork. Oh, (laughs) we all know what they're doing. That's weird. How's your hot dog? It's really good. Thank you. You know, they're not bad hot dogs, but the best hot dogs I had, you have to get in Chicago. Now, they know how to make a hot dog. Don't they not put ketchup on it? I mean, like a hot dog without ketchup, that's not a hot dog. Now that the adults have disappeared back into their cabin, a conspiratorial hush falls over your small group. Harcourt looks each of you in the eye, then stares into the fire. Hot flames reflected in the thick lenses of his eyeglasses. If you read the sign on the way here, you you know Camp Mulholland was established in 1935, almost 40 years ago. But what you don't know is who exactly established it. Oh, sure. If you read their pamphlet... It was some rich guy in Hollywood who built the place as a kind of retreat for underprivileged teens. Real Rockefeller stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, just so crazy. Well, that's just a whole lot of bunk. What they call a marketing ploy? Anyways, I can't blame them. Lemon Tammy took over the camp about six years ago after it had been abandoned back in the 50s. They hired someone to write their pamphlets so they could attract more clientele, and I guess a murder-suicide didn't fit their version of a feel-good tree-hugging camp for kids. He pauses dramatically, obviously waiting for encouragement to continue. Murder-suicide? What was that about? Okay, Rosa, just keep your shirt on. After another exasperating pause, he draws a deep breath and goes on with the story. So... Turns out this rich guy had a son, an illegitimate son named Joseph. As he utters the name, it's as if the word echoes in the still night, spiraling up with the ash and smoke toward the dark treetops, which now seem to be leaning in as if listening to the tale. Joseph, Harcourt repeats, was an unusual boy with an unusual face. Not exactly a deformity or birthmark, but something in between. Something different. His mother had died during childbirth, and he'd spent 14 years at an orphanage in San Francisco. People treated him like either a harmless puppy without a lick of sense or a freak of nature. He grew up without a family until one day he was invited to Camp Mulholland. 
His father, by this time, was racked with guilt. He kept tabs on the boy for years and finally got the guts to do the right thing. His plan was to tell Joseph the truth and bring him into the family fold. So he decided to meet his son here on this very spot. Pyre number three. Right here? This spot? Right where you're sitting, Rosa. Oh. And you hear something scrambling in the bushes. Look, it's not funny. The counselors are probably back there just trying to scare us. Or doing something else. I bet it's one of those snake squirrels. Why don't each of you give me a spot hidden? I needed a 45. I got a 27. I successed. I needed a 50. I rolled a 57. That's a failure. I got a 48 over 25. That was a fail. Told you it was a squirrel snake. So Rosa is too busy leaning into Nikki's uh, warm shoulder. I'm too busy making kissy faces at Rosa teasing her. Ben is sharp-eyed and very alert. Sees something, a dark shape, creep up the side of a tree that is just a few yards into the tree line. And then scramble up towards a large branch about 20 feet in the air. Holy crap. And then hang upside down. And in the glittering firelight, you can see a possum with several babies clinging to her belly. Is it a possum or an opossum? Anything is possible. <laughs> shh, 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 shh. What's going on, Ben? What? What's up? Look up at the tree branch. It's a possum with babies. Oh, look, they're so cute. Guys, can I finish my tale? It's supposed to be a ghost story. God. All right. So anyways, Joseph met a dark figure in the woods that night, a week before his 15th birthday, and a few days before Camp Mulholland closed for the summer. He knew who the man was, and in a single glance, face to face, he knew that it was his father before a word was ever spoken. Then he attacked. No one knew exactly why he did what he did, only that his rage overtook him. At camp, he'd learned many skills, survival skills, used to trap and kill animals. That night, he applied those skills to his father, strung him up by his feet, cut out his tongue, skinned him alive, gutted him like a deer until the forest floor under the trees where we're sitting right now was stained red with blood. He was found the next morning, flies buzzing all around, and some critters had got to his corpse, gnawing at the flesh all night long. An empty rowboat was seen floating in the middle of the lake, and some kids noticed a cinder block was missing from one of the makeshift shelves set against the mess hall cabin. Someone had stolen the rope from the tetherball, too. 
the lake is deep out there in the middle and muddy as sin. Even with scuba gear, it can take a while to find something in the weeds. It was five days before they found Joseph's body anchored with rope and cinder block. The fish had been nibbling at him all that time, so you can bet it wasn't pretty. Everybody give me a spot hidden. Ooh, I needed a 50 and I rolled a 43. That's a success. Ooh, I needed a 45 and rolled a 58. I rolled a 3 under 25s. That is an extreme success. You see dead people. Almost as if in disgust with this particularly unsavory bit of the story, Nikki abruptly gets up and stalks across camp. That's what Diego notices. Ben notices nothing because he's still sort of keeping one eye on the possum. Rosa, because you were sitting right next to Nikki, you're sort of jolted rudely by this sudden departure. I mean, on one hand, you can't blame Nikki because the story is rather creepy. But you noticed right before Nikki got up, they were watching Peter, who had exited the mess hall several yards away and was wandering towards one of the other campfires. As you notice this, Harcourt continues. As you can imagine, there was plenty of heat at the camp after that. Police did their thing. The Federales stomped in all over too, but it was pretty cut and dried. After a year, the camp reopened and things went on like normal. Until the zombies. Zombies? Or vampires or ghosts. Vampire zombie ghosts? I, I don't know. Wake me up when you hit Mothman. Chupacabras? All I know is they found a kid. Drained of blood, dead as a doornail in his bunk. Something got to him during the night. So they put the body on ice until the authorities arrived. And when they opened the cooler, the stiff was gone. Except he wasn't. They found him out in the woods later that night, just wandering around perfectly fine. When asked, he said... Some kid with a weird face woke him up and asked him to help him find his daddy lost in the forest somewhere. Uh, the cops thought he was just confused or sleepwalked, or, and the counselors weren't doctors, so didn't know the kid hadn't really been dead. Case closed. Nobody thought anything of it until it happened again to a different kid the next year. And another the next. All with the same story about a strange boy with a deformed face searching for his father. Finally, the owners had enough of vampire zombie ghosts and closed the camp down for good. Or, or so they thought. Hunters and hikers up this way say, You can still hear the pitiful wail of Joseph as he looks for his dad 
out there in the wilds. A mournful wail suddenly pierces the night air, ululating like a forgotten song of grief in a long dead language. It emanates from deep within the dark tree line, directly behind you at pyre number three. Harcourt's face grows pale and scared in the firelight. He produces a heavy-duty, ever-ready flashlight from seemingly nowhere and points it at the thick wall of greenery, the beam of light shaking in his unsteady grip. Peter, is, is that you? That ain't funny, man. But the wail goes on, breathless. This is just like him. He, he's probably pulling some prank or something. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. Either him or some of the counselors or some of the older kids. Or, you know, it's always something like that. Well, you know, they, they taught us when we're earning our badges that, you know, we got to be alert for anybody else in trouble. And I, I guess it could be somebody in trouble. We can go with you if you need us to help you. You'll go with me, Ben? Of course, yeah. I, I've got a flashlight, so... Okay, just don't shine it at the possum. I don't want the babies to fall. Hey, hey, Harcourt. How many movies have you seen where this is how they start and everybody dies? Uh, no, that's not until the 80s. Okay, then nobody's going to die. It's fine. Uh, if you come with me, uh, we can check it out, I guess? Hey, it's your funeral. We just got to be careful of bears and stuff. But, 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 I know there's that's what, there's maybe a bear. I don't know. I got this pad of pepper and a pen. Uh, let's go. I'm going to start taking down your last will and testament. Leave everything to my grandmama. She gets all my baseball cards. And Harcourt enters the tree line with his flashlight out in front of him. I'm casting around for like a stick to wield. Yeah, you can easily find a stick. I'm going to pull out my Swiss Army knife. As you creep stealthily through the jungle-like interior, eyes glued to every twitch of a branch, the flashlight beam picks out, sweat slips down your spine. The wail grows louder, but also warbling in tone, as if the structure of sound is beginning to fracture. Both blind terror and a concern for whatever might be making that noise propels you deeper into the foliage. What if it's someone in need of help, you think? Though another voice, the one that whispers to you in the dead of night, replies, What if it's the ghost of Joseph? Finally, your group approaches a felled tree the massive, decaying log providing perfect cover over which to peek. As one, you all slowly lift your eyes over the obstruction to see... Peter. Several yards away, his back turned to you. And he's... He's... Making out with someone? Two pale hands clutch him close. But Peter's romantic partner is obscured by his bulk. Yet, the increasingly weakening wail emanates from him. Please roll spot hidden. 
I needed a 50. I rolled a 24. That's a hard success. Ooh, somebody got hard. It's all the stick rubbing. I needed a 45. I got a 7. This is extreme. I also got an extreme with 3 under 25. This is supposed to be my moment. As you watch unbelievingly, Diego sees a flash of red hair. Ben sees a flash of blonde hair. Rosa sees a flash of blonde hair. But then as the figure shifts to the other side, it's red hair. Harcourt whispers, Are you guys seeing this? Yeah, he's snogging someone. What about it? Who's he kissing? I, I can't make it out. Do, do, can you see who it is? Guys, that sound doesn't sound like somebody who's kissing somebody. It sounds like someone in pain. What do we do, Ben? Give me your flashlight. Here. Pick up a rock and chuck it at him. And I shine the flashlight and say, in the deepest voice I can muster, What are you guys doing out here? Clearly startled, whoever is kissing Peter turns the boy around as a shield. In the dim light, you can see Peter's pale, dazed face with a slight smile. The wailing ceases immediately. Then, a trickle of blood oozes from his open mouth, staining his chin and the front of his t-shirt. By the time he begins to topple forward, face first onto the ground, the shade behind him has scuttled deeper into the gloom. Tune in next time as we play another reel of the Lovecraft tapes. I don't want vampires. I am intrigued. I mean, who doesn't love a good spooky camp story? The mystery of who it is and where's Nikki and... Well, the stories of the blood draining. If the camp story has any truth to it at all. How far away from the truth does it get? For now, it's time for some hashtag recommendments where we share some of our geeky obsessions. Start us off. I am going to recommend mystery novels. Uh, just because I've been enjoying mystery novels lately. The one that I've specifically been reading is um, I always enjoy novels with uh, female main characters, especially female main characters doing what's traditionally male. To see the juxtaposition of Sherlock Holmes and Mary Russell, he really respects her in the book that I really find interesting. I never liked the original Sherlock Holmes. I constantly question whether Arthur Conan Doyle is smart enough to make them a satire <laughs> because they're a really good satire. If he was really doing hero worship, and I kind of think he might have because of the fairy stuff. They're really funny if you read them as a satire, the Sherlock Holmes novels. This series with Mary Russell is very interesting because it humanizes him. It turns him into a person. And I really like that. I'm just really enjoying these novels. The Mary Russell Mysteries? Yeah. Even more generally, just mystery books. Thank you for that. Mary Russell Mysteries. Sounds pretty cool. Brian, you're up next. Well, then I guess I'll have to recommend Serious Sam, Siberian Mayhem. Just came out. I always like the Serious Sam games. They're fun, a little repetitive sometimes. But this one has a full-blown story that you can play through. 
if anybody's ever played Serious Sam, basically it's a first-person shooter, and there's wave after wave of monster coming at you, and you have to get to checkpoint to checkpoint to checkpoint. This is actually a full-blown open world, and you have a storyline where you're trying to figure out and find this scientist so he can save the world. And he's in Siberia. You're encountering all these monsters. There's tons of hidden loot and specialty things that you can get right off the bat of the game that normally you wouldn't unlock until later in the game. Very, very fun, very fast-paced. I went into an area I shouldn't have gone into right off the bat and died immediately. (laughs) It's cool that they did an open-world aspect because usually they're pretty linear for these games, but they also have the survival where you can just do like the wave after wave and see how far you can get. So they have the old school as well, which I appreciated. I haven't played that part yet because I dove in and I played for about two and a half, three hours and it's a good game. Really smooth, very fast paced still. You still move quickly like in the previous game. So if you're a fan of first person shooters with a lot of action and a lot of mayhem, definitely check out Serious Sam Siberian Mayhem. It's fun. Good. We'll check that out. And Matt, you're up next. Uh, so tonight I'm going to recommend no, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, the successor to Breath of the Wild, which is out now on Switch. Breath of the Wild was originally the reason I bought a Switch, was to play that game. And I loved it to death. It's amazing. But once you play Tears of the Kingdom, it feels like a much more refined version of Breath of the Wild. You can see they very clearly, very closely took a look at what worked in the original Breath of the Wild. And they took that and they refined it. And then they went and they added to it. So not only do you have the great open world exploration and the freeform, you know, puzzle solving and you're hunting down Korok seeds and solving dungeons and shrines, but this time there's the added twist of you're not just in Hyrule, you're now also above Hyrule. There are areas in the map that have giant floating islands in them. And this second layer of the map is its own its own mystery for you to solve uh, has its own special kinds of puzzles when you're on the ground getting something from point a to point b isn't that difficult but when you're in the sky and you need to get something from floating island a to floating island b and there's nothing in the middle but air then it becomes a bit of a challenge so you're moving around through different layers the biggest thing they added is they added uh what are called uh zonai devices and a building mechanic so they had give you things like wings that can glide and fans and control sticks and wheels and you can basically use your powers to stick one thing to anything and if you go online and just You don't even have to know much about the game. If you go and you look up some of the crazy things people have built in this game, it's insane. And you don't have to be a great builder to be able to make it work. It's super easy. There's nothing complicated about it. If you stick four wheels to a piece of wood and you put a steering stick on it and you hop on, it's a car and it drives. Um, The beauty is in just how complicated you can make things and how you can use the resources you have at hand to creatively solve problems and puzzles. And I love it just as much, if not honestly more, than the original. If you're a fan of open world games that offer lots of exploration and you're like puzzle solving and the world of Legend of Zelda in general, I can't recommend this game enough. It is absolutely amazing. Cool. Thanks, Pat. And I'm going to wrap us up here, guys. Um, Because I'm a writer, webmaster, IT guy podcaster much of my time is and always has been spent at a desk usually in front of a computer it doesn't help that i love movies where i can also be seated for an inordinate amount of time in front of my home theater 
Plus, I've been taking a lot of car trips during the pandemic. My posture has never been anything to write home about. And lately, my back has begun aching somewhat more than usual. So after a few rounds with Google, I found a possible solution. Purple. In addition to their regular line of products, this colorful mattress company offers different seat cushions made from a thick gel in a grid system designed to support your weight and distribute pressure more evenly. They came highly recommended by popular tech review sites, so I ponied up for the Royal Seat Cushion. It's pricey, I'm not going to lie, but so far I've had good results. This particular size is multifunctional, so I can move it from car seat to office chair very easily. Uh, whenever I know I'm going to be spending a lot of time in either. Bonus, having one of these cushions has also made me more mindful of regular stretching and developing my core to help alleviate pain. Uh, I like this particular model, but they make larger and smaller versions depending on your preference. So check out Purple if uh, you got the means to do so. Um, so far, I've been pretty happy. Interesting. Very interesting company. Well, guys, uh, that's going to be it for this episode of Lovecraft Tapes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Meanwhile, visit lovecrafttapes.com for up-to-date information about our podcast and subscribe to our live streams at twitch.tv slash lovecrafttapes or youtube.com slash lovecrafttapes. You can chat with me in real time at discord.lovecrafttapes.com. And uh, if you want to find me and talk about, you know, hiding snakes and beds and other things I can do to get back at Peter, you know, assuming he comes back from this, who knows? I'm, I'm open to I'm open to all sorts of uh, classic summer camp pranks. Uh, hit me up on Mastodon at the Real Weird Kid. If you want to get stuck in a boat out in the middle of the lake with me, too bad it's not going to happen. But you can find my link tree at linktree slash Vendetta. If anybody would like to join my fire making call now that I'm a professional, just look for the smoke signals in the sky and venture forth. Until next time, roll for Tempe. The Lovecraft Tapes podcast is copyright 2023. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes.